Amen. Well, good morning, CF family and friends. I want to welcome you to our Easter service. Thank you so much for clicking in uh, via our live stream and Facebook uh, Live and just uh, other social forms of uh, media. Um, Thank you. And thank you, guests, for listening. Uh, We want to thank you for being a part of our Easter service. And our hope is that uh, when we are able to gather back together as a church family, as a fellowship, that if you have been visiting us uh, via our, our live stream, our hope is that you will come and be a part of our fellowship, come be a part of the body of Christ, and uh, just seeing people love one another, loving Christ and loving each other. So thank you, guests, for being a part. Uh, I want to also say thank you to our care group leaders I want to thank you for loving uh, the people in the body of Christ. Thank you for the people that are in your groups. I want to encourage you to continue to reach out to them. I know that in this time when we are in some ways isolated, we're still able to do some parts of daily living with the essentials. But in this time, care group leaders, don't forget, don't put it off. Reach out to the members of your care group. I want to say thank you for each group. You mean so much to this church family. Also to the elders the deacons, champion staff. Thank you for how you have been caring for the people of Champion Fellowship and those in our community. I want to say thank you to our SIA family that are serving on the front lines in our community. Uh, Some are serving as paramedics, uh, firefighters, police officers, city council, city city leadership and management. Uh, Those who are in leadership positions, you know how tough it is to make decisions. Many of us on the sidelines are sitting back and watching you make decisions. Uh, it's, It's easy to be critical, but those who are in that place of leadership having to make decisions, you're, you're in the firing line, and I want to thank you for standing strong and loving our community and loving people and uh, being that representative of Christ in our community. I also want to say thank you to uh, my personal family. I want to say thank you to my wife, Leslie. I love you. Uh, my daughter, Hadley, my son, Garrett, and daughter-in-law, Kelsey, that are in Montana. I love Dad loves you so much, and I know that we're not able to worship together this Easter morning, but I'll see you soon to my mother and my sister in Kentucky and my, my brother-in-law, Darren, my niece and nephew, to my sister-in-laws, uh, Patty and Judy, uh, Uncle Mike, my, all of my nieces and nephews, my mother and father-in-law, I just love you. Thank you for all that you've done in my life and the encouragement. Well, why would I take the time to say that? Why would I take the time to say thank you and I love you? Because I can. Because I can. Two and a half months ago, coming this Tuesday, Uh, To have a a surgeon say, Mr. Webb, we should have done this two and a half years ago. I know, I know that God did not take my life. While he could take my life today, two days from now, two weeks, two months, two years, two decades, he could take my life, but he hasn't. And so because he hasn't taken my life, I have the opportunity to testify of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And I want to spend my time in the days ahead encouraging my family, my friends, my church family, while we have the opportunity, let's testify of the goodness of Christ. I'm not able to testify personally of the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection. 
resurrection. I wasn't there. But what I can testify to is the goodness of Jesus Christ. Personally, I have tasted of his goodness. I know that he has saved me. I know there was a time when I was in rebellion, and God graciously pulled me back out of that rebellion and put me on the path of life. And so with every breath that I have, which every waking moment that I can testify in the days ahead, I don't know what they hold. I, I can't look back and change the past. I don't know about tomorrow, but what I do have is today. And I want to encourage my church family. I want to encourage those in leadership and in our community to do the same. That you would understand that God has graciously given you breath today. And so this day, Resurrection Sunday, Easter weekend, it is the weekend that radically changed all of history. This is the weekend that turned the world upside down when a Savior came and was crucified for the sins of the world. He was buried. There was no hope in the world, but then that blessed Sunday morning, that Easter Sunday morning, he arose from the grave. And as the church would make a statement of faith down through the centuries, Christ is risen. The church would respond in faith, he is risen indeed. Amen and amen. I pray that for the person who is at home, maybe you're not able to be with family, maybe you're not able to be with friends, and maybe you're alone, maybe you're a single mom, a single dad, and you've got your kids gathered around you in the room and you're watching our worship service today. Uh, maybe you're an individual who's by yourself, and because of what's going on in the world today, you may seem isolated and alone, but I want you to know that Jesus loves you. I want you to know that the Word of God is able through the Spirit's moving and anointing to reach right in your home, in your heart, in your soul. The Word of God is that message of hope is able to penetrate the depths of your soul and speak life into you. You are not alone. There is a God who has saved us, and there is a God who longs for you. There's a God who wants to draw you to himself through his Spirit's moving and the Word of hope his word, the gospel, the good news. And so if you are able to and you want to interact with us through Facebook Live and different other forms of social media and you need help and you need prayer and you, you have questions, please don't hesitate to interact with us via social media. But today, my prayer is that as we're walking through God's word, that his message of hope would realign us with good news and that we would understand that this life is bigger than us it is all about Jesus Christ, and may he be exalted and glorified today. So I want to begin by reading our text for today. It's in Matthew chapter 28, and this is the, uh, Matthew's account of the resurrection. And so we've had the crucifixion, we've had the burial, and we'll speak of that more in a moment. But reading verse 1 through, all the way through verse 10, it says, Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave and behold a severe earthquake had occurred for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it and his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men and the angel said to the women do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. 
And in verse 8, and they, they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. The invitation for these faithful few, these women, they were there out of their love and devotion for Christ. And the invitation was given to them. Come and see the empty tomb. Let's pray. Lord, I want to, before we go any further, I just want to simply come to you now in prayer. And as my church family and friends and loved ones and those who are, are visiting through our live stream, Lord, right now we just want to stop and surrender our souls, our spirits, our will to your word today. And I ask, Holy Spirit, through the anointing of your word, that you would reach into the depths of our souls and where darkness desires to creep in and distraction and bitterness and anger and frustration and living in a lost and dying world, Lord. May, in this moment, may your spirit awaken us through your word. May life burst forth from the depths of our souls as we experience grace and the grace of Jesus Christ. I pray for each person who's a born-again believer. Maybe they've been indifferent here lately. Maybe they've had apathy take hold of their souls as they've been struggling through crisis and tribulation. But oh God, today, would you awaken within our souls this hunger and this desire and this passion to love you with every ounce of our being. Would you awaken within our souls may, that we would be resolved to stand firm in faith on the word of God and in Jesus Christ, our foundation, the rock of our faith. God, for those who don't know you, who've never put their faith and trust in you, may today be the day of salvation. May today, as they hear this message of hope, may they reach out to you. May they call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. May they confess their sin and trust you as their Savior. Lord, this is your time. Our only desire is that Christ be exalted today, for you are the risen Savior. You're the one who died for us. You paid our penalty with your death on the cross. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. You were buried. You were dead as dead could be. But according to your word, and how you told the disciples in advance even, Lord, you began to breathe on that Sunday morning. You were resurrected, and you came up out of that grave God giving us the victory over sin and death. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd continue to bless our time in the Word. In Jesus' name, I pray. Uh, just uh, as I was preparing for this time, uh, I, obviously we, we know in the story that the disciples, they, they were with Jesus, they loved Jesus, they'd been following him for three years. I would, I would uh, call them the, the fearful followers because they had not been blessed with the Holy Spirit yet. They were uh, Jesus' disciples. He loved them. Yet because of what they were getting ready to go through, fear would grip their lives. And so I think back in this time in the scriptures, I walk through this narrative, the story of Jesus' arrest, his crucifixion and resurrection. I couldn't help but think of how they must have felt lost and confused. Have you ever felt lost and confused? Have you ever had a moment in your life where things just didn't look familiar and you were struggling to make sense of life? I, I just uh, remember just a couple of years ago, I was blessed with the opportunity to go see a friend in Tanzania, um, Chad Mars, a, 
student pastor, First Baptist, and I traveled there, and we spent 10 days out in the African bush, had a great time. We, we uh, were drilling for water. We were meeting our brothers and sisters in the field there in Africa, and um, the day came for us to come home. We go back to Dar es Salaam, the capital there in Tanzania, and we're there, and we're thinking, okay, we're going to get on a flight tonight and, and come home. But uh, our, our friend we were visiting with, he said, you know, I've got to go down into the market area, and I've got to find a part uh, to replace for the drilling rig. And now I just want to warn you in advance, you don't have to go, but if you do want to go, the fastest way to go down into the market area is by motorcycle. And uh, he explained to us the market area had thousands of people in an eight block, eight, 10 block area. He said, uh, we'll just have to stay tight together. But if you're up for it, we'll get three motorcycles and we'll, we'll travel by motorcycle and uh, go down into that area, get what we need and come out. And so uh, we're, Chad and I are like, great, let's do it. And so we're on the motor, back of the motorcycle and our friend's with us on his motorcycle. We all had drivers. And so we're cruising through Dar es Salaam, 9 million people down into the market area. And uh, unbeknownst to us, uh, some police had uh, radioed ahead that we were coming. We come around a corner, and uh, there's a large group of people, and they've blocked our way, and they begin grabbing us, taking us off of the motorcycle, and, and we're arrested. Oh, we're going, what in the world has just happened? And in that moment of confusion, this huge police officer, he was obviously uh, getting over uh, a night of... of uh, Having had a little too much to drink, he was angry, he was upset. He takes hold of us, he says, get in the van. And we're sitting here going, what, what do you mean, get in the van? And in Swahili, he tells our friend, you're under arrest. So we get in the van. We're there in the van, we're, we're going, what has just happened? Our, our wives are going to be upset, we're supposed to come home tonight. And so we're, we're locked down in that van, and they, they're sweating us out for a couple of hours, and we were really, really becoming anxious. The police officer, he starts the van. He says, you're under arrest. You're going to look at three months in jail and a fine of 150,000 shekels. Our friend, who was furious at the moment because he knows what's going on, they're shaking us down for money. We take off, and we're headed toward the jail, and our friend's going, fine, take us. Let's do this. And Chad and I are looking at each other. Oh, no, no, this can't be happening. A few blocks down, the police officer pulls over, he asks us, do you know Swahili? And we say no, and he, he tells us, get out of the van, get out of the van. And he takes our friend, drives down the street. In that moment, Chad and I are looking at each other, what just happened? We are lost. We are in the middle of Dar es Salaam, the capital of Tanzania. We do not know Swahili. We're, we, we, nothing looks familiar to us. What do we do? And we sat down, side of the street, and prayed. Now the good thing is, is that they let our friend go. I'm not telling you his name for security purposes, but he came up and surprised us, and we were so elated to see him. I wonder, as the disciples, these fearful followers, and that night in which Jesus was arrested, having been betrayed, and he's taken captive and I wonder the depth of their sense of lostness. I can only imagine what had just happened. But Jesus has prepared them. We said this last Sunday. Jesus had been telling them that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer at the hands of the religious leaders, uh, be crucified, 
buried and resurrected. In fact, in Mark 10, as they are on their way to Jerusalem, Jesus would pull his disciples aside, saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, and spit on him, and scourge him, and kill him, and three days later he will rise again. Jesus, what are you talking about? The disciples forgot the words of Jesus, lost and confused. The disciples have been hearing of this kingdom, how Christ is king and his kingdom is coming, but they were looking for a physical kingdom. Jesus would go on, go on to express that his, his kingdom was a spiritual kingdom first. His physical kingdom would later follow. In fact, two disciples that Jesus appeared to on the road to Emmaus, they expressed uh, this uh, before Jesus revealed his true identity to them. They said, but we were hoping that he, Christ, who was, he would be the one who would redeem Israel. They were looking for a physical redemption uh, to the nation be delivered from the oppression of Rome. But Jesus was coming to bring spiritual freedom and establish his kingdom. That physical kingdom would come later. Jesus one day will return and he'll establish his throne here on earth and he shall reign forever and ever. But the disciples, these fearful followers, they simply forgot the words of Jesus. Jesus is arrested, they're scattered, and they fear for their lives. This fear for their lives took precedence. It captured them. Even Peter, the one who had confessed Jesus as the Christ, the, the Messiah, the anointed one, would, who, the one who would say, Jesus, I'll even follow you to death. That night in which Jesus was betrayed, he denied him three times. These fearful followers simply forgot the words of Jesus. But there's another group that did not forget the words of Jesus. There's another group that hated Jesus. They incited the crowds to crucify him. I'm not trying to be trite or, uh, it's, this may sound uh, corny, but I'm calling them the fabulous frauds. Maybe that'll be easier for you to remember. I couldn't think of a better descriptor for them. Fabulous frauds. The unbelievers, they remembered his words. Why would I call them fabulous frauds? Because they were the elders, the religious leaders of their day. They were the ones who were to lead Israel in the way in which she should go as a nation. They were to honor the Lord, and they were to encourage the people of God, uh, the nation of Israel, while they waited for the coming of Messiah, to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They were also to love their neighbor as thyself. They were students of the word. They knew who to be looking for. They knew what this uh, a Messiah that they would be waiting for. They knew what he would do. They, they knew about him, yet these unbelievers, these fabulous frauds, these religious leaders, they would reject the king. They would reject Jesus, in fact, have him crucified. Jesus would call them hypocrites. That term hypocrite, it, it's, it's interesting that it's, a, it's known throughout the ages as one who would wear a mask to conceal their true identity. It's a word that's used to describe the mask that an actor would wear. He would call these men hypocrites. He would say you're like whitewashed tombs who look good on the outside, but on the inside you're just dead bones. He would say that you are like the ones who would wash the outside of the cup, but you will leave the inside dirty. They were proud, they were prosperous, and held high positions of power within their communities. They loved to be seen by men. 
They played the part, they dressed the part, but Jesus knew their hearts. He knew they were far from God. In fact, Jesus told them that they were of their father, the devil. And after Jesus uh, was crucified, uh, these were the ones who went to Pilate. These were the ones who remembered the words of Jesus while the disciples forgot. They remembered his words. In Matthew 27, we see where they go to Pilate and they say, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days I am to rise again. Therefore give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal him away. And say to the people, He has risen from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard? Here, you have a guard. Take it, go, and make the grave as secure as you know how. And so they went, they took the guard, and they made the grave as secure as they could. And along with that guard, they set the Roman seal on the stone. Everyone who would see the Roman guards, everyone who would see the stone and the seal and the seal of, of Rome on uh, the stone, they would know to, to break that seal would be to break the law of Rome. And so... These fabulous frauds that hated Jesus, despised him, had him crucified. They did all that they could to keep our Savior in the tomb. But then there's some faithful few. Faithful few, those who were at Jesus' crucifixion. The rich man named Joseph of Arimathea, who would ponder the question, where would Jesus be? In fact, God's word said centuries before that Jesus would be buried in a borrowed tomb. He would be named among transgressors and he would be placed in a tomb that was not his own. This rich man, Joseph, pondering that question, he goes to Pilate and he asks for the body of Jesus Christ that he might prepare him for burial. Nicodemus, one of the teachers of Israel, uh, joins in with him. This is the same Nicodemus who came to Jesus in the night and asked the question, what does it mean to be born again? Nicodemus and Joseph, they prepare the body of Christ. It's, it's a hurried preparation as the Sabbath is approaching, but there's also some women who have been watching Jesus be crucified, and they knew that the burial process had been hurried, and they were waiting for an opportunity after the Sabbath to go back to the tomb to finish the burial process according to their custom. And so in the text, in verse 1, we see here these faithful women. They love Jesus out of their love and devotion for Jesus. They're going to the tomb. They have no idea how they're going to open the tomb. They don't have no idea how they're going to get to the body of Christ. They just simply go. And it says in the first part of the verse, now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week. I can't go any further without just looking at that part of the verse. It reminds me of when God created the heavens and the earth, when he established the universe, when he cast the stars into, into the, the universe, and he named each one of them. God, in the beginning, at creation, he worked six days to create the heavens and the earth. And then the scripture says that on the seventh day he rested and now at this moment in history we have a savior who has entered into Jerusalem he is the Passover lamb this is the same uh, son of God that was at the beginning at creation he's at work these six days doing the work of redemption he's there in Jerusalem and on the sixth day he's crucified for the sins of the world and on the cross he would say it is finished what was finished his work of redemption 
He had prepared his disciples. He had washed them with his word. They knew his word. They knew Christ. They knew who he was. They were ready to be sent out after the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then he said, on the cross it is finished. His work, his dying for the sins of the world, being that perfect sacrifice, it was finished. And Jesus bowed his head and died. And that Sabbath, as he's buried, he was resting from his work. But as the new day was dawning, the first day of the week, the old covenant had been fulfilled through Christ Jesus, and now the new covenant was being established. The second Adam, who was to be the firstborn among many brethren, he is the one. He is the one who established this new covenant and made a way for us to know him. These were the women who were going to the grave, and on that first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. But then we see in verse 2, uh, behold, a severe earthquake had occurred for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of this angel. And literally, the, the fear overcame them to the point they were paralyzed. They could not move. And Scripture says that is why it's, they're described as uh, them becoming like dead men. Fear has the ability to do that. In fact, in this day and time, as we experience crisis and tribulation in this world, there are times where our, our souls react, our psyche, and, and there's a, as the uh, our brains are trying to wrap our minds around what we're going through. There, this flight or, or uh, fight or flight syndrome can kick into gear, but there's a third part of that. Uh, paralyzed. Uh, there's this fear that can grip us to the point where uh, we're immobilized and, and we just don't know how to respond or how to act. And these angels, I mean, this angel with these men, these guards, fear overcame them, and they became like dead men. The presence of the angel immobilized these men. The presence of God, when we look in Scripture, we look in the Bible, whenever the presence of God would move upon men, that, that is the immediate reaction for mankind, uh, this fear of this awesome God. In fact, when the glory of God rested in the Holy of Holies in the temple that Solomon built for the Lord, that Scripture says the presence of God was such that the priests could not minister this isn't the only place where we see earthquakes happening with God moving. We go back to the Old Testament and Moses, he's on Mount Sinai. God is giving him, presenting the word, his law to Moses to, to be given to the people. The people are down on the plains below and they, they see the fire and the lightning on top of the mountain. The earth is quaking and the fear of God takes hold of him. Yet in all of this, God is simply speaking to Moses. Elijah, the prophet, would confront the Baal prophets and he would run. After having a victory, he's fearing for his life from the Queen Jezebel. He runs to escape and he's, he's in the, the mountain region. He's in this place secluded and uh, the scripture says the, the earth would shake. There would be an earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. There would be wind and fire, but God wasn't in the wind and fire. But then there would be a whisper, a gentle blowing. and God would be there speaking to Elijah. Here in the New Testament, once again, God is on the move. His son is being resurrected. Uh, just two days before that, at his crucifixion, 
the earth would quake. These men experienced this angel coming to bring the message of hope. They were paralyzed by fear. But in verse 5, just as God has always responded to his people in kindness and grace, when fear is able to grip us, look what the angel said to the, to the women. Verse 5, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. While our, as individuals, we experience the presence of God moving through the scripture, we see where fear is the natural reaction, how our knees should quake in the presence of a holy God. Yet God, when we are aligned with God and his purposes and will, he would say to each one of his people, do not be afraid. The angel says to them, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. And then this incredible invitation, come and see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. This angel of the Lord, this messenger, he comes to open the tomb. The tomb, the door wasn't open. The stone wasn't rolled away that Christ could get out. He had a glorified body. He was able to move through matter. Christ is risen. He comes out of the grave. The tomb, the stone is rolled away that they might come and see and look in the empty tomb. This messenger brings an incredible message, gives it to the women, and tells them to go and tell the disciples. It's interesting, their reaction here, uh, they, don't, they don't hang out for a while. They don't discuss what just took place out of obedience, uh, hearing the message from the messenger. The scripture says that they left the tomb quickly, with fear and great joy, and they ran to report it to his disciples. Out of obedience, they left the tomb, quickly with two things, fear. Fear and great joy. I imagine fear from the, the messenger that they had just witnessed and received the message from, but with great joy. Why? Because of the message. And out of obedience, they ran to tell the disciples the Savior had risen, just as he said. And so as they followed in obedience. An interesting thing happens as they're running towards the disciples. Uh, they see Jesus. Now, I want you to notice in the text, it's not a Jesus is just to, in happenstance and coincidentally runs into them or they coincidentally run into Jesus. No, the scripture says this Jesus, this Savior, this Christ, this King, the one who had risen from the dead, he met them on their way to tell the disciples. Our Savior is an intentional God. He knows exactly what he wants to do. He knows exactly how he wants to interact with his people. The risen Savior is in complete control. And that ought to give us courage and strength today as a people. This risen Savior meets them on their way, out of obedience, they meet the Savior, they love Jesus, and they get to experience the presence of the Messiah. And I want you to notice what happened. When Jesus meets with them, they go to a time and a place of worship. Scripture says they take hold of his feet. They take hold of him, and they worship him. Now, I know that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father according to Scripture, but it's an interesting thing that happens when God's people live a life of obedience, 
We know that Christ has sent his spirit to fill his body, his people, for we have been baptized into the body of Christ. His spirit dwells among us and in us as the body of Christ. And when we are obedient to his word, to follow his commands, we have the opportunity to experience the moving of the Holy Spirit within the body of Christ as the spirit desires to build the body up in unity, faith, and love, and hope within the people. This is the importance of us as a people honoring our Savior and being obedient to our Savior, not to gain his approval, not to gain his acceptance. The only way we receive that is through the blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. We do it because we love Jesus. We honor him, we obey him because we, we love him and we're devoted to him. Same response from these faithful few. They simply love Jesus and were devoted to him. And yes, as we are doing this and the Holy Spirit of God is moving through the body of Christ, when we are able to gather together, we experience a time of worship. We come and we offer our praises to God, a holy God, as a sacrifice of praise. Yes, we can worship the Lord individually. Yes, I can praise the Lord individually today. But there's power when the body of Christ gathers together. Where else would we, should we see the manifestation of the Holy Spirit of God than in the body of Christ? Brothers and sisters, we shall get through this time of trial and tribulation. We shall get through this virus. We're going to walk through this, and we're going to be together. And there's coming a day when we can gather back together in numbers, where we can come together and praise the name of Jesus Christ and truly interact as the body of Christ is called to do. You see in verse 10 there where Jesus says to these faithful few, these women, do not be afraid. The angel, the messenger says this to the, to the women, but Jesus himself goes the next step further and personally tells them, do not be afraid. He doesn't leave it just up to the angel. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. Another invitation. Disciples, apostles, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. Come and see. Come and be with me. The invitation is very clear. Come and see. The Bible is clearly God's revelation to mankind. And from beginning to end, we see the story of God's redemption. And we see over and over and over again where God desires to reveal himself to mankind. We see it in the beginning in Genesis at the creation. And this same Jesus who was crucified for the sins of the world is the same Jesus who was there in the beginning at creation. In fact, the apostle John, the apostle that Jesus loved so much, he would say in chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And this creation came into being through the Word, through Christ he would go on to say in that same chapter that this word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John would say as the apostles, we dwelt with him, we walked with him, we talked with him, we ate and fellowshiped with him, we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten son. In fact, John, Peter, James, and John would be on the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus' physical body was peeled back just for a moment and you, they were able to see the glory of Christ in his glorified body and, uh, and his, the glory of Christ they would say that his appearance was like the sun. And so John would say we beheld his glory, and this is the same Jesus 
Or in Colossians, Paul would say he's the image of the invisible God. By him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. God wants mankind to know that he is a God who loves his creation and he has provided a way of escape from sin. Adam and Eve, they rebelled and sinned against God. The promise of a coming Messiah would be expressed there in the third chapter of Genesis. All through Old Testament, we see a people looking for the coming Messiah. And as God would develop a nation, he would create them. He would give them his law. He would give them land. And through this nation of Israel, the Messiah would come. God was not silent. Israel was to be that nation that would share the hope with the world and among the Gentile nations. They were to be that light, but they failed. And Jesus came as the Son of God. He was born, and this Messiah is the one who triumphantly entered into Jerusalem, fully God, fully man. We know, as I shared last week, he would minister for three years before that triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We know he taught God's word. He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He set captives free. He raised the dead back to life. He told them in advance what was to come, the disciples, they would believe. And he was crucified for all the world to see. For all the world to see. The evidence is very clear. If we were holding a trial today, the evidence would be indisputable that the resurrection was an historical fact. In fact, the the fabulous frauds, they didn't even deny the resurrection. When the guards re-entered into Jerusalem to go and tell them what had happened, they didn't even deny the resurrection. They didn't even try to, to denounce it. They simply tried to cover it up. And he's, they would say to these soldiers, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you a lot of money, and here's what we want you to say to the people. They paid them off. And so the invitation to come and see. As Jesus would appear to the women at the tomb, he appeared to the apostles. In over 40 days, he would appear to over 500 people. Some estimates would even be closer to 1,000. But what does this mean for us as believers today? This empty tomb validates that Jesus Christ is God. No other religious leader was able to say what he said and follow through with it. No other religious leader claimed to be God and no other and to be able to say that I will lay down my life, be buried and raise it up again. Jesus is the only one who has been able to do that and will will go down in history as the only one to do that for he is God. The empty tomb also validates that his words are true. The penalty for sin is death, and Jesus was unworthy of that death. He was righteous and without sin, and he took his, our sin upon himself. And on the cross, he would say to the Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And God the Father would honor his Son and raise him that blessed Sunday morning. Jesus, he is God, and his words are true. If his words are true about his death, burial, and resurrection, everything else, everything else can be considered as true. The empty tomb also validates our resurrection to come. The Bible says that because we have placed our faith in Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, we shall be saved and one day have a glorified, resurrected body like Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul would say that our, our physical bodies are like a seed that's planted in the ground. And just like a seed would die and then be able to bring forth life, the same thing goes for our physical bodies. And one day after we die, when the perishable shall put on imperishable, 
mortal shall put on immortality. When that happens, the saying will come true, Paul said. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters and and people who are listening today who, who don't know Christ as your Savior, the only way that we can get to Resurrection Sunday, the only way that we get to experience the resurrection is if we first go through the crucifixion Friday. The only way that we get to experience the resurrection, the gift of eternal life, is putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. That same invitation is to come and see. It's still here. What would I mean by that, come and see, in today's time? And through the church of Jesus Christ, well, through God's word, we see the message of hope presented. Come and see the word of God. Come and experience the word of God in your life that you might experience salvation. Uh, Through God's people gathering together, we see the love for God on display in our worship as we gather together, following Christ's example, loving each other as he has loved us. Uh, Church family, see a family, community, friends, loved ones. Would we dare to give that invitation to people in our community? Would we dare say, come and see, come and see the love of God in our midst? Come and see God's work on display through his body? We see love for others at work in the body as well. Come and see the love of Christ, putting the needs of others ahead of our own. That first place that it should be seen is in the marriage relationship between husband and wife, between a mother and a father loving their children, protecting those children, putting the needs of their children ahead of their own, nurturing them in the ways of the Lord so that one day when the Holy Spirit moves upon that child and the word of God is presented to them that they're a sinner who needs to be saved, they would be ready to respond in faith to Jesus Christ. Then in our community and world, Would the community that we live in, would we be able to say to them, come and see, see our lives, the love of Christ on display in our community. Would they see the victory of God's people at work in the community, but also through transformed lives? As an individual would experience victory over personal sin in everyday life, how would they see that? How would be able to say, come and see? Well, as brothers and sisters, when when one is walking uh, through life and experiencing the temptation of sin, a brother and sister doesn't condemn, doesn't shame, but simply comes along beside and says, brother, let me help you. Sister, let me help you and lead them, lead them back to life in Christ. It happens in community. His word is our standard, his love is our measure, and relationship is our life. Would to God that... As the angel said to the women, come and see. Would to God that today we'd be able to say to our world, to our family and friends, come and see God at work. Today, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I pray that you would trust him for the forgiveness of your sins. I pray that today would be the day of salvation. As you have been listening to this message of hope, that where you're at today listening, that the Holy Spirit of God would move upon you, that you would understand and know that you need to be saved from your sin, that Christ paid the penalty for our sins, and we can put our faith and trust in him and cry out to this holy God and say, forgive me of all of my sins. And in that moment, in that moment, be baptized in the body of Christ. We would know him, he would forgive us, and we would have received the gift of eternal life, ready to follow our King Jesus. I want to turn it over now to David Hughes, one of our elders, if he would close us out in prayer. Thank you so much for being a part today. Happy Easter. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Amen, brother.